Welcome to The Entrepreneurs. Coming up on this week's program. One of the challenges is finding ways to be innovative without losing the DNA of what really put us on the map. Jeff Abrams, the founder and creative director of the Los Angeles-based apparel brand Rails, talks about its evolution and its international aspirations. Then... A lot more of the international buyers are there. There's a lot more business-oriented because the budgets are higher and the stakes are higher as well. We'll catch up with Monocle's roaming fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi, for a chat on the business and sustainability of Fashion Week. That's all coming up here on The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You are listening to The Entrepreneurs, and indeed, we're kicking things off today with Jeff Abrams, founder and creative director of Rails. Jeff started the brand in 2008 with a $5,000 investment and a hat. Since then, Rails has expanded from its humble beginnings into the UK and Europe, and it's now a truly global brand, sold in 30 countries. Its European influence, mixed with a relaxed Southern California style, has also become a hit with fashion lovers, and it's amassed a list of celebrity fans from Beyonce to Taylor Swift and Giselle. Jeff's based in Los Angeles, but he has graciously stopped by here at Midori House on his trip to London. Jeff, thanks so much for coming in to see us. It's great to meet you. Um, and congratulations on Rails. What a success story. If we try and sum up the brand, what it does, it's well-priced. It's classic, clean looks. Uh, it, it's easy for consumers to understand. A, a lay observer might say, hey, lots of people do this kind of thing. Let me ask you, how come Rails has done it so well? What's the secret? Well, it's certainly been a long road, and I think people can say, you know, wow, you have this global brand, but this is more than 15 years in the making, and, you know, a lot of trial and error along the way, and a lot of hard work, but, you know, really at the core of the brand, it's this idea of blending this Southern California casual lifestyle, but with a more elevated international sensibility. So, you know, I think we always try to strike a balance between creating effortless styles that are easy for customers to wear, but doing it in a way that feels a little bit more thoughtful, curated, and something that really builds an emotional connection between our brand and the customer. Uh, and tell me about the challenge as the business does grow. Um, and I don't know, maybe its success exceeded your expectations. How do you ensure that those values, which are absolutely fundamental to its origin story, how do you ensure you can retain control over them as I guess you have to increasingly delegate and, and let go the reins a little? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really one of the challenges for a brand as you're expanding over the years. You know, really at the core of the brand is this concept of super soft fabrication. And again, this effortless collection that customers are coming back to season after season. I think one of the challenges is finding ways to be innovative without losing the DNA of what really put us on the map. And particularly in fashion, when you're reinventing yourself every three, four months, particularly in women's fashion, you know, it's a fine line to give the customer something new, but that also sort of harkens back to what they expect from you as a brand and sort of keeping that DNA. So it is a challenge every season, but we've had, you know, a design team that's been working at Rails for 10 plus years. And I think we've evolved together as a company. And, you know, we seem to be hitting it currently every season. But, you know, you never know. Every season is a new is a new challenge. Um, I'm really interested in that idea about this sort of the softness. And this is a kind of a, something that always comes back when I talk to people about rails is this hand feel, this thing about tactility. Now, that's quite a kind of traditional concept. I, I guess a lot of the success of brands who are good at that. It's about bricks and mortar retail. You go, you feel the products, you really engage with them. Obviously, Rails has grown during a period where the online has been critically important. Indeed, during the pandemic, it was fundamental to businesses that survived. 
again, is that a balancing act? How do you ensure that you can communicate that sense of hand, feel and tactility, maybe to consumers who aren't going to be physically engaging with the products? Well, we grew up in the wholesale business. So for the first 12, 13 years of our business, we were reliant on other people to sell our brand. But again, sometimes it's hard to display the full breadth of the collection. So in the last couple of years, as the collection has evolved beyond just shirting into dresses, outerwear, full men's collection, we've introduced women's denim. We've needed spaces where we could showcase the full breadth of the product, but also give customers more of the emotional side of what our brand is about. And so, yes, we opened our first store in basically March of 2020. This, as soon as the pandemic started, we, opened, we opened our doors. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was perfect timing to get started. But you know what? I think we took a long-term view where we know that because of the tactile nature of our product, that customers were really going to love that experience of sort of interacting with it on a personal level. Um, and we've seen traffic increasing month after month, which is great. We now have 10 stores globally. So five in the U.S., five internationally with plans to continue to open stores in a thoughtful way. Tell me a bit about your management style when it comes to those spaces, Jeff. Are you one of these guys that just will perhaps literally or metaphorically helicopter in and be like, here I am, what's going on? Do you like to do a bit of that, keep people on their toes? What's your what's your kind of technique? Or are you kind of just like on the phone with everybody every day? Well, I think if you ask people in our business and who we work with, you know, I definitely come with a lot of passion. I really care about what we're doing. You know, and it's it's more about I care about how the customer experiences our brand. And I care about the team that's building rails together. We have over 150 employees now, but the first employee still works there, second employee, third employee. For me, it's really this concept of building an amazing business, but doing it as a family-style operation and being on a journey with our team together. You know, I try to set the standard of, you know, what our brand should be about while also giving our team opportunities to really spread their wings and be entrepreneurs within their space. I love being with customers. I love being on the floor, understanding, like, what what is the customer preference in different places? You know, we came from Southern California, so our origins are very spring-summer identity. In California, you don't need a jacket in the middle of winter. Maybe you need a lightweight sweatshirt. So we've had to learn over the years as, as we've expanded. We have two stores in London, one in Paris, one in Amsterdam. We're selling all over the globe. How do we really make our brand a year-round brand that can resonate with customers no matter what the you know the weather situation is? And I think we've we've done a nice job of that slowly and steadily building the brand that way. Yeah, robust jackets required in London. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much all year round. Maybe two jackets. <laughs> yes, even during the summer yeah. months. I want to talk to you a little bit about Rails is sort of broader commitments to sustainability in the sense that most people would understand that. But something you just said then, Jeff, intrigues me, which is to really make a sustainable business, as in a business model that is sustainable, not not in terms of where from where you source your materials, this kind of thing, that kind of sustainability. I mean, in a sense, that has to even come before you start talking about environmental sustainability, doesn't it? Because you can't change anything if your business isn't here uh, for the long term. Yeah. Um, but so just tell me a bit about how you sort of communicate that to your colleagues now growing it growing a number presumably you don't have as much face time talk, talk to me about that process a little bit yeah I mean I think you know it was very hands-on in the early days I had no technical background in fashion so really this idea of being a very grassroots operation has sort of stuck with us today and I think the idea of connecting with people whether it's in-house team whether it's our extended supply chain partnership our wholesale partners like building those connections has been as important as building, you know, a financially stable brand. That commitment from our employees really, I think, speaks to how we've become successful over the years. Going back to actual product and sustainability, I think we've also tried to implement that into the collection itself. We've introduced an, an eco collection, 
you know, improving our supply chain and our denim program, which we just launched. We're working with water.org. So every pair of denim we sell provides a year of clean water access to somebody who doesn't have it. We care about running a great operation, but also like what is our ecological footprint and our sustainability footprint? And, you know, how can we give back to society as we're growing the business? Well, yeah, and this is interesting to me because obviously that's something that you care about deeply. Have you found increasingly that your consumers demand that from you in terms of this joined up thinking on in terms of the impacts on the environment the ecological impact of what you do has that changed a lot just during the still relatively short lifespan of rails yeah i think so i mean i think there are a lot of customers who do care i think there are also some customers in reality who are just buying because they love a style and they're not necessarily looking at the you know the eco collection but as a brand we have a responsibility to you know be thoughtful about what our footprint is and how we're building the business as the collection grows and we're doing millions and millions of units of production okay we need to be thoughtful about what is our waste are we wasting a lot of water are we you know really doing the most we can with packaging and um, we're a young dynamic company and I think our employees also care about that and you know we're trying to be as conscious of it as we can. Tell me about ongoing growth then and continued expansion. You've already spoken a little bit about the success with opening your your own stores and you obviously have lots of enduring partnerships with other retailers. What does that look like if we look over the next couple of years? Hopefully things are settling down. We're in a period where everything should be open or more open than it's been. What does that look like? For us, it goes always back to product. Product is the key of everything we're doing, and really that is why customers are continually coming back to the brand. I think we're in this phase now where we're trying to give them the physical locations where our customer can experience the brand in person, while also continuing to cultivate wholesale relationships. We've had all these amazing wholesalers who've helped us grow the brand and introduce it to their customers. So I think continuing to make those an important part of our business building out our website, rails.com, where customers can really shop the full breadth of the collection regardless of where they are. Maybe they don't have a specialty account or a Rails store in their neighborhood, but you know, I think it's finding ways to tell our story to customers, engage with them, and own the experience between our brand and the customer. Tell me about some of these moments where, I don't know, I, was, I, tr- I try and get people to explain these sort of disbelieving moments. Now, it might be, as you said, you kind of started as a, as a shirting brand, and if you had one of your iconic pieces and then, I don't know, somebody sends you a picture of... Beyonce wearing one. I don't know. Are there sing- some moments, Jeff, when you just look at, you just take a second, you step back and you just think, oh my God, how has this, how has this happened? What, there must be loads along the way, but probably they still happen. Tell me a bit about what that's like. I remember there was one time at the US Super Bowl where Giselle, who was married to Tom Brady at the time, who was playing in the Super Bowl, was wearing our shirt. Um, it was one of our plaid shirts. It was this red and blue plaid. And we had no clue she was going to wear it because she just happened to have it in her closet and was wearing it, you know, off-duty style. And we had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people coming to our website at that time trying to figure out, okay, what is this shirt that Giselle was wearing at the Super Bowl? We were totally unprepared for it. It was just sort of the early days of our website. And we didn't even have that style in stock. So we were just moving things around, trying to sell what we could. Things like that were happening along the way that were unexpected and I think helped sort of catapult us into the public consciousness. A lot of these celebrities and influencers who've been wearing our product over the years have been wearing it in in an organic way. It registers as authentic and I think the customer realizes like, okay, these people really love the brand for the product itself. Yeah, I kind of love that. It's yeah. it's not well. You can't get it driving up scarcity. It's just like, oh, we yeah. we didn't know. It's yeah, kind of exactly. there's a, there's a really a nice honesty about that. And, and to this point, you alluded to this earlier, talking about Southern California and this origin story. In terms of a, a an, an ethos, a philosophy, not specifically even just about business. You spoke about this sort of spring summer mindset. What what does that what does that mean in terms of 
the community from whence you came, the the power of that for fashion. So many creatives still moving there, inspired by that by that community. Tell us a bit about how that's woven, if you'll forgive the pun, into the fabric of everything you do. Growing up in Southern California, this is these were my roots, you know. And so I think in California, it's very sort of effortless lifestyle. I mean, you have both very active world, but and people care about fashion, but it's really sort of you're out and about. I think having lived in Europe when I was in university and I was traveling around on the Eurorail, which is actually how I got the name Rails, and I was sort of being inspired by all these things that I was seeing abroad. Starting the line was a way to combine some of this cultural influence that I was getting from, you know, the European markets infusing it with the Southern California lifestyle. That Southern California effortless concept has been the common thread that's run through the collection. I think really helps us create styles that aren't so fussy, that they're not, you know, we're not making couture styles. We're making things that are really practical that people love and they're going to come back to season after season. It's very monocle, this idea. Yeah. It's, 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 it's wearable. It's stuff you'd actually buy and wear and, yeah. and enjoy. Jeff, you mentioned this idea of not having the background. Remind our listeners then, if we go right, right back to the beginning, how you started the journey and people must say, this guy sounds nuts. How did he, why did he think he could do this if he had no, no background in, in the business? Were you one of those entrepreneurial characters who was always like, hey, I can do something with this? You know, tell I, us a bit about that. Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I wasn't sure where my path was going to lead. I grew up really sort of immersed in different artistic endeavors. Like I really loved photography and sculpture and, and the arts. But I went to university, I studied political science. I was maybe going to go down a professional route and be a, an attorney. But you know, I just realized I wanted to do something where I could control my own destiny. Now, I didn't really know what that was going to be. And again, not having the background in fashion, it did still seem like a way for me to combine both a professional sort of background, but also bring this creativity to it. I think ignorance was bliss for me in many ways. I think had I known, you know, a lot of the challenges of really building a business from zero, I don't know if I would have had the strength and the fortitude to jump in the way I did. It's funny, a lot of the entrepreneurs we talked to on this program talk about that, having a degree of naivete and saying, actually, it's quite liberating because you can't be scared of what you don't know. Yeah. But then most of them say, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions, Jeff. Are you ready for these? Yes, for sure. Is there a single or singular piece of advice that you've received that you think that was the moment, that was the best piece of advice? Is it some, Or is it somebody who remains a, a trusted counsel? I didn't really have a specific mentor in fashion. And so a lot of what I ended up learning was through trial and error and making mistakes along the way. You really have to be a problem solver. You know, you can't, you have to make good decisions quickly. You know, sometimes people will ruminate over things and not know, okay, is this the right thing to do? Is it not? You just have to trust your intuition and go for it. Whether it works out or not, you have to believe that whatever your gut is telling you is the right decision and just continue to go. And I think being able to make decisions on a quick pace really has helped us, you know, continue to grow the business. What about a, an error? I always find it interesting. Well, you've already alluded to this idea that you probably learn more when things go wrong than when they go right. But is there is there one mistake that you would change? Or is it this thing where actually the learnings that were associated with it were so powerful, you'd, you'd almost make the same mistake well, again? there have been countless errors and mistakes along the way. And some of them were my fault and some were out of my control, but then we, I had to deal with them. So, you know, early days I, I had one of my first big orders. It was like a, a big test order from a big retailer and I had, was working by myself. It was like three or 4,000 unit order. I made it in LA. I had no employees. I maybe had one intern who was like helping me periodically. And it took me a number of months to produce the goods. I packed them all by myself. This 18 wheel truck came to pick them up. I handed them off to the truck they sort of took them away and I was super excited. It's my first big order. And the next morning they called me and said, sorry, but the truck was robbed. All of the stuff is gone. We don't know where any of the shirts are. I was like, wait, this is my, this is my chance to, to show people that I could sell. And so, you know, I called the store. I told them that the, all the shirts were robbed. And they're like, sorry, it's going to be too late. We can't take another order. You know, I really had to figure out, okay, how do I recover from this? Ultimately, eight, nine months later, I got paid by an insurance for these shirts. But, you know, that was something that very easily could have put me out of business. But because I had no employees, I had no overhead, I sort of 
really bootstrap and tried to figure out how do I build myself back up. But things like that happen along the way that are unexpected. And like, that's really where you have to go into problem solving mode and figure out, okay, how do I continue to, to move forward? God, what, that's an amazing story. Did you yeah. go, you must've been, were you looking around for some well-dressed hoodlums here and there? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was, I remember this was a time where there was another denim brand that was super popular. And I think that truck had picked up the denim brand prior to my shirts and i think whoever was stealing it was trying to steal that denim brand and mine got stolen with it so but so they um, had a whole they had a whole ensemble yeah somebody was wearing a head-to-toe outfit and you know well um, we're laughing now yeah I guess exactly it, it somehow sound i made like it, it was funny it wasn't yeah. funny it wasn't yeah. funny at the time yeah um if you could kind of get a do-over and change it maybe you'd have an additional security on, on that yeah. day but is there anything that you would change counsel earlier or trusting or delegating more at different times anything you would do differently do you yeah think? i mean you know i think in the early days probably the first eight, nine, 10 years, I was so laser focused on building the business that I think I also ignored a lot of things that were happening in my personal life and cultivating really amazing personal relationships with friends, with family. And I think that can happen to a lot of entrepreneurs where you're really so focused on building your professional life that you forget to find a balanced life, which I think is super important to really building a great business is making sure that you find times to recharge your batteries, that you have times to appreciate all these places that you're going. You know, a lot of times I would be on the road going to all these amazing cities walking into stores, trying to build the business. And sometimes I didn't take the time to step back and say, wow, I'm in Paris or I'm in this amazing or in London, wherever I am, and really appreciate the surroundings and the journey along the way. Well, that's interesting. And and this is another shifting narrative, isn't it, about work-life balance and flexible working and people recalibrating how they look at work, whether they're running businesses or if they're an employee in a huge multinational. People have really changed in quite fundamental ways. The dust yet to settle at Monocle, you know, we're not quite sure that the end of the office is nigh and so forth. But I sense from your last remarks, Jeff, that you would welcome that. But how do you ensure that you strike that balance correctly? Because grown in scale, you've got more people whom you can offload administrative problems and all the rest. But presumably you're still deeply wedded to the brand. You care so profoundly. How, how, How do you do it? Is it just about forcing yourself? Do you have to put in the diary, Jeff, recharge batteries now? What, 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 is it, what, what are the mechanics of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly as the business has grown and we've built out the team, we have amazing staff uh, that's working at Rails that are really running a lot of the day-to-day functions. I also want to make sure that they have the right work-life balance because it's important to have a company where people really care about what they're doing, but they also have their off time where they can enjoy themselves. And I think I've just had to be more conscious of that as I'm traveling, as you know, I'm going to visit our different stores to really take the time to, one, appreciate the surroundings, but also appreciate how far we've come. And, you know, I didn't do a lot of that in the early days, but to really think about building a business from zero with the help of our team, of course, um, we've really done some amazing things. And I think, you know, I do want to at times just appreciate it and reflect on it and, and, you know, make sure that we're still motivated to continue this next journey of rails, whatever the next iteration is going to become. I think it's interesting. And this idea of being appreciative is possibly what people mean when they talk about a mindful approach to business, isn't it? It's just taking a second and saying, hey, actually, this is pretty good. Not being complacent. But... Just, just going back, you know, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs and businesses will focus on the financial metrics. Like, okay, what was our revenue? What was our EBITDA? What were all these, you know, numerical values that go around our business? And a lot of times, a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands start thinking about their customers as a data point, like mm-hmm. LTV to CAC, and like just all of sort of making everything financially based, where I think if you really think about the emotional experience, particularly in fashion, that the customer has with your brand, like what is the human element and like the empathetic element of what we're doing? To me, that really is what keeps us centered and grounded in creating an amazing business because it's not focused on the financial results, but on the journey of how we're, 
you know, interacting with the customer. Well, to that point then, Jeff, what what does the next kind of stage look like? Is it about sticking to those values? Are you looking to raise more investment? What What's the sort of the, the big picture strategy over, I don't know, whatever kind of time horizon you, you work to? Yeah, I mean, I think the product is resonating with customers across the globe. I think we've introduced the brand to customers in many different places, but there's so many places where we've yet to showcase our brand. So I think part of what we're doing now is this international expansion. You know, we've opened a number of international stores, but it feels like it's the early days of, of doing that. I think continuing to build out the product collections, you know, we've given customers the opportunity to outfit head to toe. Ultimately, we may get into some product extensions, you know, around the soft hand feel where as we're building out the stores, people are loving the decor and they're often asking us, oh, where can I get this rug and this, you know, this sort of setup and whether it's, you know, blankets or soft goods, like I think there's an opportunity for us to expand into some secondary categories. But, you know, we'll see. I think every year it's little by little adding things to the mix and, and sort of seeing how it evolves. Uh, there was a playful look, listeners, on Jeff's face there. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he's got up his his softly. Yeah, there's because there's so there's so many things we want to do, but I also think you know we try to pace it out because even with product introductions, sometimes brands will throw too many things at a customer too quickly, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, what am I supposed to pay attention to? Who are you? And this goes back to the conversation about innovating but staying true to your DNA. I think sometimes people say like, ooh, there's uh, there's financial opportunity in all these locations. Okay, but you don't want to burn your customer out and get them confused on on what you stand for. So. I think for me, I always think about building something great takes time. And, you know, if you look on social media, everything seems super easy and fast. And, you know, for us, it's okay to go slow because I think that's how you build an enduring brand. Well, just on that point, it's interesting. You've obviously mentioned the the expansion, but you talk about how where this idea of, of taking kind of rails on the road accords with your own travels around Europe or whatever. And if we look at markets like here, right here in London, we're sat here in, uh, at Monocle HQ in London. D- did you, were you sort of particularly confident that London was a market where rails retail would be successful? I, I mean, what what is it? Because you couldn't get much further from that kind of SoCal, yeah. dreamy summer, you know, shirts all year round vibes than here in London town. And yet such a ready audience. Is that because you did know this market a bit better? Well, are, there, are there markets where you've been surprised that it's fitted yeah, so well? I mean, I think it goes back somewhat to the origin story of how Rails started. You know, when I started, I was I was traveling around door-to-door salesmen walking into stores trying to build the brand. I would walk in with a couple of samples and get people to, you know, hopefully look at the samples. And what I realized was once we got into stores, people really loved the product. So as I got into that shirting business and we started getting some of these celebrity pictures like Giselle and Beyonce, you know, we had customers coming to us. So there were a couple stores from the UK that said, hey, we saw these celebrities wearing your product. We would love to test it. So I said, ooh, that's interesting. Okay, how do I ship some shirts to the UK? So, you know, I little by little had to figure it out. But once we got into a couple of accounts and they sold the product, then they started coming back, word started spreading. So I, so I knew that some something would happen, but I just needed to dedicate more time to going on the road and visiting the customers. So that mentality of being on the road, visiting stores we've used as we've expanded internationally is you can't throw the product across the globe and hope that it works. You have to be there in the market acting like a local. We've opened an office here where we have eight employees who are running sales and marketing. We have two stores here we're often visiting. We have a PR agency. Like We're really trying to act as if this is our backyard because that's the way to be successful in a market. And now we're trying to replicate that in a lot of international markets. Hugely exciting. And that's my last question to you, Jeff. What are you most 
excited about i guess continuing this journey what are you most well, excited about? for a long time we were very much a women's business we've recently introduced a men's collection which i'm personally very excited about because before i had like three shirts on rotation and now i at least <laughs> have a collection of, of styles that i can i can uh, pull from so very excited about the men's collection and i know i've talked about the journey many times during this conversation but to me i that is what's the most exciting about this business and that i want our staff to be motivated and to say one day whenever they're done working at Rails, hopefully 50 years from now, they'll say that was one of the most amazing experiences I've, I've had that I worked for a company that made amazing product, but also cared about some employees and, and cared about its you know extended network. And that's what I really strive to do every day. Jeff, huge thanks. Great to see you. That was Jeff Abrams. And you can learn more about Jeff and Rails. Head to rails.com. Do look out too for Rails's new shop in Berlin opening in May and a pop-up coming to Amsterdam at the end of June. This is The Entrepreneurs. Next up on the programme, we're heading to the catwalks with Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi. Fresh off the heels of London and Milan Fashion Weeks, she's now in Paris for the big one. But we managed to catch Natalie between shows for a chat about a common theme we've been hearing about in interviews with designers and brand custodians alike. Sustainability in what's arguably one of the biggest polluting industries and how all the companies and all the stakeholders are tackling the issue. Natalie, always great to catch up with you. A busy time of year, I think that's an understatement. Give us a quick recap of what's been happening during the various fashion weeks from your vantage point. It is a very exciting time of year. It's it's a time to discover new talents and draw inspiration. And that's what really happened in London this year. There was a lot of young designers that are really taking over London Fashion Week. And that's that's what London has always been known for. But these last few years, especially, a lot of new talent has been coming up. But also Burberry, it was back on the schedule and they had a big new debut with a new designer, Daniel Lee, a new CEO. So a completely new strategy and hopefully some better days for brand made in Britain. And we've also moved to Milan after which had a lot more focus on the bigger brands. So there you see a lot more from Prada, Giorgio Armani. That's the players that are really taking over the scene and the week. And a lot more of the international buyers are there. And it's it's a lot more business oriented Mm. because the budgets are higher and the stakes are higher as well. Well, talking of high stakes, it's, it's interesting, especially on this program, when we talk to fashion brands, reinvented brands or, or, or new startups, there's always this conversation about sustainability and in particular how increasing seasonlessness can help to drive that, to stop so much dead stock and all the rest of it. Do you hear, do you see that as you travel around, that that's on the agenda for people, this idea of trying, even as people are showing new season couture and clothes, they want to talk about trying to be more season less in terms of their approach? Definitely. I think it is being a big part of the conversation and a lot more brands are now trying to show more classic garments and a more just timeless way of dressing. It is a bit of a paradox because fashion weeks themselves are built on this idea of renewal of seasons, showing something new and and encouraging people to keep shopping and and buying new things for their wardrobes. But with sustainability being now top of the agenda and the fashion industry really being criticised for this constant renewal and the waste that, that, that it produces, 
it has become more of a focus and not every brand, but a lot more brands are trying to turn their attention to classic, timeless garments. And instead of just changing everything every six months, just investing in craft, in artisans and improving the quality, playing with material innovation much more than just trends. Well, I love that. And and it ties so closely into the sort of Monocle value set, which is often about buying less but buying better and a more accessible you know wearable styles which i think people who read the magazine will recognize but just on the sort of trend side were you struck by anything in particular in terms of looks or other aesthetic pivots in terms of the season that we're seeing that might set the agenda in terms of what people can expect to see not just on catwalks but also on the high streets as well soon I think a lot of brands are trying to revive the 1990s, which is not necessarily a great thing, (laughs) but we will be seeing a lot more of it, I think, come next summer and next winter as well. And it, it is a trend that has a lot of divided opinion, Gucci in particular, which is going into a new direction with a new creative director starting in September, has been looking back to its glory days with Tom Ford in the 90s and, and bringing back some of those looks. But then you, we, we will also be seeing a lot of elegant and timeless clothing that we've been speaking about from people like Armani and Prada and Bottega Veneta that I think our listeners or people that have a bit more of a, the monocle aesthetic would appreciate. Looking back to look forward, for someone of my particular vintage, Natalie, that, work, that works for me. Um, Natalie, always good to catch up with you. Thanks very much for chatting. And that is it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back next week at the same time. Do look out. In the meantime, for Eureka, coming your way Fridays. The Entrepreneurs was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Adam Heaton. My thanks to them as ever. And of course, thanks once again to Jeff and everyone at Rails and to Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie. Do listen again. Find out more about the programme at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive wherever you get your podcasts. To contact the Entrepreneurs team, drop me a note or, and this is the best idea, email laura at lrk at monocle.com. And don't forget, after you've checked all those things off your list, to subscribe to Monocle magazine. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.